From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And yeah, nothing like a brand new legislative session to bring us education policy and education politics. Let's dive in and hit some of the highlights. Absolutely. Uh, session kicked off on Monday with Governor Brad Little's State of the State Address. I want to hit a couple of the highlights, uh, but for early action from the session and from some of the finer points from the speech, if you missed it, a great place to get caught up is the homepage. That's www.idahoednews.org. But with that out of the way, uh, the governor kicked off the legislative session on Monday at 1 o'clock with his speech. It was a short speech, about half an hour, um, but a couple of things really jumped out at me from the speech, particularly when it comes to education policy, Kevin. Uh, some of the big things that I heard uh, from the governor were that he wants to reverse uh, the budget holdbacks, the 5% budget holdbacks that all state agencies and public schools are dealing with for the current budget year. Uh, that translates to about $99 million dollars in state funding for public schools. That and he wants to increase uh, teacher pay by building out and funding movement on the career ladder. That's the state's salary allocation system. Uh, but two big things I saw were reverse the budget holdbacks and invest in raises for teachers, including veteran teachers through the career ladder system. W what jumped out at you from the speech, Kevin, and how might that set the tone uh, for the session that's now underway? Well, my takeaway of it was that it was, I, I thought it was a fairly political speech in the sense that I think the governor was trying to set the stage for where he hopes to position himself uh, heading into 2022. Uh, I thought it was not so much in education, but maybe in uh, tax policy and in transportation. I think he was trying to be pretty ambitious in terms of trying to uh, set aside $455 million uh, for tax relief. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how that's going to affect education funding. That's going to be a big topic this session. Uh, he wants to put more money into transportation. How that affects uh, available dollars for education is another thing we're going to have to work out. I mean, a lot there. And I think the governor was trying to be uh, pretty ambitious. I think he was trying to uh, pivot away from managing the pandemic and governing in the pandemic to starting to look at how to how to move past the pandemic you know, when uh, the coronavirus is somewhat under control, uh, when vaccines are somewhat more widespread, and we'll talk about vaccines a little bit uh, further uh, later here in the podcast. So I was kind of struck by, you know, we're 16 months away from the Republican primary, and I felt like you could really tell where Governor Little wants to take the conversation in the next 16 months based on what he wants to get done here in the next you know, three or so months at the legislature. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you had a sharp analysis piece that you published on Monday evening looking at the state of the state address and almost talking about how, well, it's exactly like you said, the governor may be looking to plant some seeds about shifting from managing the coronavirus pandemic uh, to post coronavirus pandemic, a big part of that package was his plan for spending down the projected surplus. That's where we're yeah. seeing a lot of the money uh, that he is proposing for the tax cuts and for the infrastructure investments and in water 
and roads and highways. I think he's calling that Building Idaho's Future or something similar. Um, but that was really sort of the forward-looking part of the proposal because much of the budget outside of that and outside of a handful of increases, like we already talked about for teacher pay and so forth, kind of a no-frills budget. Yeah, uh, that's that actually word. a word that the governor yeah, used in uh, in the speech. Uh, but again, full highlights from the speech and from the first couple days of the session. Uh, are, really, you know, in that no-frills theme, I think a lot of what he had to say in terms of education and in terms of education funding and education projects, nothing really surprising and yeah. nothing really new. You know, he wants to get back to funding the career ladder. Well, we've been talking about the career ladder for years. Legislators have been funding the career ladder since, uh, you know, since Governor Otter's time in office. Nothing new there. Uh, the $20 million that he wants to put into summer reading programs to uh, sort of augment what the legislature and the state is already putting into early literacy programs. Nothing really new there as well. I think, uh, you know, another area that I tried to break down a little bit this week, I've got a piece at idohitnews.org that I dropped on Thursday. The governor wants to put another nine and a half million into the advanced opportunities program. He's expecting that uh, those dual credit enrollment numbers uh, are going to rebound. They, they definitely have dropped during the pandemic. He expects them to rebound. A lot of education leaders that I spoke to are saying basically the same thing. He wants nine and a half million dollars more into a program that legislators have supported overwhelmingly in the past several years. So, you know, he kind of played the hits in terms of education policy. There was nothing new here, uh, no really new initiative, no really uh, new objective in terms of education policy. You know, and the governor's talked about early literacy. He's talked about college and career uh, readiness, and, and that's really where he uh, put a good chunk of money. He's talked for years about uh, making teacher salaries competitive. You know, again, we saw an installment of that in his budget proposal. So no, no big surprises on the education front. No, uh, yeah, like you said, really looking to get back to a lot of his top priorities and policies from before uh, the pandemic and, and kind of make uh, circle back and, and, and begin bolstering those again and maybe picking up uh, where some of the disruptions left off. Not a ton of surprises on the K-12 front. And on the K-12 front, when it comes to the legislators, uh, the committees got going pretty slowly this week, uh, just dipping their toe into the rules process. There will be some big discussions continuing next week about enrollment funding versus attendance funding. We're going to watch that, and I will have full coverage of that early next we'll be, week. Uh, we'll be double dipping on that because both education committees are going to try to sort that out. On, yeah. on you know, House Education will have its third uh, day of discussion of that rule. Uh, Senate Education will take its first look at it Monday afternoon, so we'll have full coverage of that. But, you know, just taking a step back from, you know, the state of the state and, and the policy proposals, this feels like we knew it would. This feels like a very weird legislative session. You know, yeah. even just Monday felt weird. Um, the governor delivering that state of the state address remotely, uh, legislators listening remotely on their respective floors, as opposed to the, you know, the gathering that we are accustomed to on the House floor. When you have that gathering on the House floor, you at least get you get some very immediate reaction from the floor. You, know, you get things that uh, get around to applause. 
you get things that a governor is hoping will get around to the laws and crickets. You know, you get that you get that sense, you get that vibe off of the room. This felt very sterile. It felt very strange. I mean, I'm not complaining. We know exactly why this is happening, and this is how you have to govern in a pandemic. I get all of that. Yeah. But it it, it feels strange. It really feels unusual. And you know. Well, yeah, and I can add on to the sort of strangeness of day one. It's like you said, traditionally. Uh, the state of the state is all about pomp and circumstance. I think I compared it last week to Idaho's version of the State of the Union address, and I think that's a fitting comparison. Normally, the governor would deliver that speech, like you said, to a joint session of both the House and Senate with more than 200 people crammed into the room, all three branches of government. That did not happen this year, but because it was given remotely, Many legislators remained on the House floor or the Senate floor, even though they had adjourned their session for the day. But I spoke with Representative Wendy Horman, an Idaho Falls Republican who sits on the Joint Budget Committee, and she said legislators, and herself included, had a very difficult time following the address when it was projected on the televisions above the House chambers due to connectivity or or Wi-Fi issues or, or some sort of connection uh, within the system, uh, the video was glitching or pausing. Uh, and so I called Representative Horman a couple hours after the speech ended, and she said, you know, I still don't have a sense uh, for what the governor asked for. I still don't have a sense for the policy proposals, uh, for what his big ideas are. And so many, many legislators, it did, you know, it didn't get the full message or couldn't follow it or had a hard time um hearing what was in it. And, and so that was very different. And I think that's just sort of those, it is what it is. Parents who have been with remote learning the past uh, four months is sitting there thinking, boy, that all sounds familiar. It's like, it's the Willy Wonka meme. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a- absolutely. And, and I think that's, you know, it's just one of those things. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think parents are going to sit here and say, hmm, now you guys know what that's like. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. And so that was just kind of a little bit of, you know, the flavor uh, from Monday. We've talked about K-12, though. We haven't talked much about higher education. And, Kevin, there were a couple of things that caught my eye uh, within the governor's budget and then within leadership or within the president's uh, of colleges and universities' reaction to the budget. But let's talk about higher education for a minute, because some of that may have flown under the radar, but could uh, could be big news on down the road this session. You know, I've been saying this all along, and I'll say it again, and I think it's even more uh, more fitting. I think the higher ed budget is going to be a lot more interesting to watch and a, little, a lot harder to handicap maybe than the K-12 budgets. Yeah. You know, what the governor wants to do with higher education is uh, what he's trying to do with a lot of agencies. You know, he's going back, restoring the money that was cut in that 5% holdback back in July. Now, that holdback is still in effect for higher education. He never did replace the money for higher ed, unlike uh, K-12. Right. So he wants to go back and do that. He wants to put some money into higher ed uh, from the savings account, the higher education savings account. He wants to give higher ed $14 million out of that fund to replace some of the money that universities and colleges lost right out of the pandemic. The stuff we talked about back in the spring, you know, money that universities and colleges had to refund to students for room and board, 
you know, lost revenue from athletic events, other events on campus. So he wants to do a lot of backfill in terms of those uh, higher education budgets. You know, the budget for higher ed, I think it was you know, something like a 2.7% increase he's talking about for higher ed. So yeah. it's a little bit smaller percentage increase than K-12 would receive. But a really interesting development on Wednesday, and I think this makes the higher ed budgets even more fun to watch uh, when that time comes. The uh, three university presidents, Marlene Trump at Boise State, uh, I see Scott Green from University of Idaho, Kevin Satterley from Idaho State University, joint press release put out by the State Board of Education. The three presidents said, if the legislature approves Governor Brad Little's higher education budget request, they will freeze tuition for a second consecutive year. So it's kind of, let's make a deal uh, between the university presidents and the legislature. You know, I don't know how that's going to go over. You know, I could see it playing out either way. I could see that, uh, you know, I can see some legislators saying, well, it looks like the presidents are trying to, you know, they're trying to do their part. They're trying to keep costs down for, for parents and students, and they want to keep this freeze in effect. Good for them. Let's, uh, let's do our part by signing on to Governor Little's uh, budget. But, you know, there are a lot of conservatives in the House. We've seen this play out on the House floor last year. If anything, the House is more conservative in 2021 than it was in 2020, just based on the election results. I think a higher ed budget is going to have a tough time getting through. And I think some legislators might, uh, yeah, they might not take very well to a, you know, this kind of a, uh, an overture from the university presidents. It, it might feel a little bit like they're being uh, painted into a corner and legislators never like being painted into a corner. So who knows what's going to happen with a higher ed budget. I just know it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's fascinating stuff. We were talking about it just for a second before we turned on the microphone this morning, but you were absolutely right. Just think back to last legislative session. Three budgets. It took them three times yeah. to get a budget through, right? Conservatives in the House, Republicans in the House killed the first two higher education budgets and really expressed concern, the concern in their minds about the growth in funding, and we've talked about uh, the diversity and inclusivity programs uh, that many House Republicans uh, strongly opposed and were fired up about. That was a very lively, passionate um, debate last year. But yeah, it's, it's really an interesting negotiating tactic from the presidents of the universities. On the one hand, they're offering out this incentive that many legislators would seemingly be supportive of, which is controlling the cost of tuition. Uh, that's a concern that legislators and, and parents and students on all over the state and all over the country have expressed the affordability of higher education. So on the one hand, you're thinking, oh, the legislators might be, they might find that attractive holding the line on uh, tuition increases for the second consecutive year, but it comes with having to support a uh, funding increase. And, and so that might really be interesting, and I think that's going to lead to an interesting debate. I think we were already bracing uh, for fireworks and for a passionate debate on the higher education budgets, and this just kind of adds to that. It adds an element of intrigue, and we're several weeks away uh, from seeing those budgets. You know, First, they'll come out of the Joint Budget Committee, then they'll make their way uh, to the floor for a vote, but... But we'll setting the table that even uh, week after next, because that's Education Week in JFAC, and that's when the university presidents are going to come before 
the budget committee to talk about their budget requests. Um, and, and I think even JFAC is going to feel a little bit more conservative than it has in, in years past. You have a couple of pretty hardline House conservatives on JFAC this year in Ron Nate from Rexburg and Priscilla Giddings from Whitebird. I'll, I'll be curious to see if the makeup of JFAC and the, the questions and the dialogue between committee members and university leaders and see how that compares this year as opposed to past years. So, yeah, Education Week is only a week and a half away, and that's uh, a big week for us at the legislature. So, you know, what we saw this week really just kind of tease up a, a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that we're going to be watching very closely few weeks in the next couple of months. Yeah, good call on the new members of JFAC, Kevin. I think that's automatically going to make things interesting. Over the past several years, we had started seeing a handful of unanimous votes coming out of JFAC on some budgets. I don't think there will be as many unanimous votes in support of budgets with uh, those two budget hawks uh, on the budget committee now. So that's another interesting element uh, to watch this year. So good job pointing that out. I think you're right on. No, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, JFAC is always uh, the committee to watch, uh, you, know, you know, because, you know, it, it all kind of goes back to the budget. All, all kind of comes back to funding, you know, and it's going to be an interesting looking committee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for sure. Anything else from week one, uh, of the session that you want to talk about before we move on uh, to talk a little bit about the state's uh, coronavirus response and the vaccine updates. Anything else from the legislator? Again, we have lots of numbers. You know, you broke down the budget in yeah. detail on Monday. So if you want to get more details about the budget in general, uh, go look at uh, idahoidnews.org and, and you know, scroll down to uh, to the first day coverage of the state of the state back on Monday. Yep. Um, we mentioned dual credit and advanced opportunities. I had a piece that I published on Thursday, uh, looking at that, looking at the governor's proposal there, and we're just we're just getting started. I mean, there's a lot in this budget that we'll want to look at more closely. Um, I'm very curious about the summer reading program, and you know, as that takes some shape in, in the uh, the days to come. So we'll look at that more closely, and you know, it's going to be a tax session too. So we'll be watching that very closely too. But you know, a lot of grist uh, as we head into the uh, the second week and beyond of this legislative session. Yeah, this week was really about setting the stage and setting the table. A lot of what we expected has sort of been confirmed, um, but it's going to be interesting. And and, and I think, uh, yeah, everything that happened this week just sort of, you know, uh, adds to what we thought going into the session. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, uh, but an important session nonetheless uh, for education. And now we have uh, particularly with the higher education budget proposals and the tuition freeze proposal on the table from the uh, three college and university presidents. So we've got a lot to watch for. Uh, and, and so my interest has certainly peaked after week one. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be our job the next uh, two, three months to uh, just sort out what happens at the legislature. Uh, a lot to watch. We'll watch it mostly from afar, but we're going to watch it as closely as we can and try to cover it as, in as much detail as possible. Another big development this week, though, shifting away from the legislature somewhat. News on the vaccine front, and this affects uh, teachers and employees. 
Yeah, it does. We had. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to the geese. I can hear Kevin. They must be on the roof of of your office. Uh, Long time listeners, first time guests. Uh, but yeah, that uh, oh. I'm, I'm hearing it too. So you're not crazy if you're listening to extra credit. And is Kevin coming to us from Zoo Boise? Uh, no, <laughs> I think there's just We're geese on the roof. Like guests here this week, but yeah. flying rats. But yeah, nevertheless, back on track. Uh, vaccine news this week on Tuesday. Uh, both Governor Little and health and welfare officials announced that K-12 teachers and education staff have been cleared uh, to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, teachers, school staff, and uh, more fl- frontline first responders are now part of the state's priority group to receive the COVID-19 vaccination. And this is actually... Um, coming about two weeks sooner than anticipated. Even last week, the latest I was hearing from state officials was we're looking at February for vaccinating our teachers. Uh, But the governor came out on Tuesday with a special announcement, followed up moments later uh, with some administrators from Health and Welfare. Uh, The teachers are now in the priority group, uh, and that's who's going to be prioritized along with some of those frontline responders for the rest of January. It does sound like maybe that caught one or two health districts off guard and they're still, we're ramping up uh, this week. Uh, But yeah, teachers are in the priority group and they're going to be starting to receive the vaccine. The governor got on and said that this is one of his priorities. And I have a quote from Governor Little um, real quick. He said, quote, the health of our teachers is paramount to ensuring students can learn in the classroom where they deserve to be, end quote. And so that does kind of reflect, you know, we've seen it since the summer, basically. Governor Little has urged and pushed and tried to convince uh, school officials to open or remain open for in-person learning. And so this fits into that strategy. But that's a big class. Um, We know there's about 20,000 teachers, K-12 in the state of Idaho, and this also applies to uh, education staff from pre-K to grade 12. It does not apply to higher education, however. This is just for our pre-K through grade 12 staff. Uh, But that was one of our top most read stories of the week and kind of a surprise two weeks early for the notice of the rollout, right? Right, and I think it kind of ties back, you know, just quickly to... What we heard from Governor Little during the State of the State, part of the optimism that I I think he was trying to convey on Monday is really tied to the vaccines and is really tied to, you know, getting the coronavirus somewhat in check. I mean, he talked about, yes, we're going to have some hard times ahead. We may be in our our most difficult times in this pandemic in the the weeks to come. But he talked about how the the clouds are starting to break a little bit, yeah. and that all really ties to the pan to the uh, to the vaccine. And you know, no secret here. You know, the vaccine rollout has been uneven across the country, and the Idaho numbers they're starting to tick upward, but it's been a fairly slow rollout over this uh, over this first month of the vaccines. As I'm looking at the numbers, the Friday morning numbers uh, as we're uh, recording this podcast. Uh, the Department of Health and Welfare says that about 46, almost 47,000 Idahoans have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Uh, fewer than 10,000 people have received 
both doses of the vaccine. And again, you need the two doses to be fully vaccinated. So it's not off to a very fast start, but that's uh, very consistent with what we're seeing at the the national level and what we're seeing, uh, you know, know, in all states, uh, basically. So I'll be very curious to see what sort of uh, vaccine rates we see in the schools. I'd be very interested and hearing from teachers on either side of this. I know we would love, love to hear from teachers. If you listen to this podcast, if you're uh, getting the vaccine, if you're looking forward to getting the vaccine, if you're eagerly uh, awaiting your chance to get the vaccine, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you're a teacher or a staff member who is uh, going to opt out, we'd like to hear that as well. Um, this is a development, uh, a big development in you know, in the coronavirus story. So we'd like to uh, like to hear from you all on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that the state really is able to track percentage of acceptance versus decline, particularly when it comes down to uh, demographics and individual job categories like a teacher or a, a frontline health worker. I don't know that we'll ever have that full no. data. So it may be That's anecdotal. Um, and I think the state really right now is just has its hands full trying to get the vaccine out, trying to get those shots in arms. And so I don't know that we will ever have valid, full, objective data about percentage of acceptance versus uh, decline, particularly right. yeah, drilling but... down to individual um, demographics or job categories or anything like that. Um, no, we may not ever know that. Yeah, that's a good point. That 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 could well just always be a hole in the uh, in the story. It's something we can never really get to in it, and it makes me wonder. I mean, this is kind of a an unanswerable question at this point. The state did move up the timetable for teachers and, and K twelve staff, and I can't help but wonder: is that in some way a reflection on what happened with the first wave of the vaccines, which went to uh, healthcare employees and uh, residents in long-term care centers. I mean, we've seen media reports, uh, national media reports, suggesting that you know, a fairly high number of healthcare workers you know, in, around the country opted out and decided not to get the vaccine. And I kind of have to wonder, you know, did something similar happen in Idaho, and that that get us to a point where the state felt like, well, they exhausted the process of giving the vaccines to healthcare workers who wanted it. So now it's time to, to move up the, the timetable for, uh, for K-12 teachers and staff. I don't think we'll ever know those uh, answers, but what we do know at this point is that uh, teachers and staff are uh, eligible for the vaccine in, in wholesale numbers. And again, we'd be really interested in hearing from teachers uh, yeah. and, and staffers. Yeah. And, your and, side of this issue. and that's a good point. I mean, we do have some data about the vaccine. Uh, I'm on the coronavirus vaccine dashboard right now as well. It's saying that 46,703 people have received at least one dose of the vaccine. That's as of Friday, January 15th. So we know two things. We know the state is already moving on to teachers earlier than scheduled, but we know that 46,703 is less than what the state identified as the number of people in that very first wave of healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers who 
would be targeted for the first priority group. We know 46,000 is considerably less than what they expected that total population to be. Um, so I, that doesn't give us any certainty about what's happening. I think that gives me an idea for a question I want to ask at the next vaccine press conference, but it does not appear that we have uh, vaccinated everybody in that first class before no. moving on to the subsequent class. And so that gives me some ideas about some questions to ask. The other big vaccine news was they moved up uh, the priority for adults 65 and older, not just 75 and older, but 65 and older. And that will start after February 1. Those were the two big things on the vaccine this week that I saw. And putting those numbers into context, if we're talking about 47,000, give or take, yep. Idahoans who have received the vaccine yep. after Friday morning, that comes out to about 2.5% of the state's population. Yeah. And, you know, now granted only adults are eligible for the vaccine. The vaccine hasn't been cleared for, for children yet, but still that gives you a sense of the percentage uh, of the population that has uh, received at least one vaccine dose. That looks fairly low. As I look at some of these national reports, uh, some states uh, have gotten up to where about Five percent of their population has received at least the first dose. So, you know, we're not the lowest in the nation. We're certainly not the highest in the nation in terms of, uh, you, know, you know, reaching the uh, the overall population. So, two point five percent of the population, give or take a little bit, and forty seven thousand vaccine doses. Uh, forty seven thousand Idahoans who have received the vaccine, as opposed to more than 150,000 Idahoans who have uh, contracted coronavirus today. Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. Kevin, uh, I'll just put in a plug. Each week, uh, you update uh, coronavirus trend lines. Uh, you actually update things daily, but uh, on Fridays, uh, you have a kind of a summary of the last two weeks, and so folks can uh, look for that, right? Yep, every Friday, usually up to 6 o'clock after I've had a chance to crunch the numbers, we'll have that blog posted. And those of you who are on Twitter know that uh, every uh, every day after 5 p.m. when the uh, when the new numbers come out, I send out a quick tweet. Yep. It just looks at what the day's uh, numbers looked like, and and those are really just snapshots. I mean, one day's numbers there's so much variation, and especially when we get into the weekends, some health districts aren't really reporting numbers. So you got to take the daily numbers with a grain of salt. That's why you know we just. We just sent out a quick tweet to let you know what happened. Yep. But the weekly numbers gave us a little bit more of a, a sense of overtime. So, uh, you know, that will come usually about 6 p.m. or thereabouts every Friday night. Yep. And early in the week, uh, usually on Monday afternoons, you're updating the coronavirus trends with an RK-12 public education system as well, correct? And, and the higher ed system. And the higher ed, so correct. I, I yep. presume on Monday of next week, we'll have our first uh, look at the campus numbers as spring semester begins and uh, you know, early part of every week we get those uh, K-12 reports from the state so we kind of break those down. So. Yeah, we do have both vaccines on hand in Idaho at this point, both the Pfizer vaccine that was cleared by the FDA first. We also have uh, the Moderna vaccine in Idaho. Uh, health and welfare officials did say the vaccine rate uh, increased compared to last week, and they are hopeful uh, that maybe supply will ramp up uh, or maybe additional vaccines could soon be approved, uh, which could increase the vaccine on hand. So we're going to continue to watch it. But everything you said 
um, about maybe being uh, a little bit of a lag, uh, we're watching that as well, right? Right, right. And, and again, national reports earlier today indicating that uh, there may yeah. be uh, unexpected yeah. and, and continued delays in terms of the distribution from, yeah. uh, from, from the, the federal side federal yep. government to the states. And obviously that's going to going to trickle down and affect Idaho if that, uh, if that plays out. So yeah, we'll definitely watch it closely and you know keep a close eye on how this goes, especially uh, as uh, K-12 teachers and staff can get, uh, are, are eligible for the vaccine. Yep, absolutely. Um, everything that we have on vaccines, we have at idahoednews.org. There'll be another vaccine press conference on Tuesday. I just registered to participate in that. And so we will have additional coverage uh, Tuesday afternoon, early evening next week uh, on the continued vaccine rollout. Kevin, did you want to move into kind of the lightning round now and talk about uh, some of the other big stories this week, whether it was um, more information about the go-on rate or about teacher salaries? Um, did you want to kind of go through some of those other top stories? Yeah, I just wanted to alert yep. uh, readers to a couple other things on our website Uh Devin Bodkin has a story on teacher salaries, what happened with the average teacher salary this past year. The average salary did decrease, and a lot of that is a function of um, veteran teachers leaving the workforce. He explains that in detail, and you can look and see the numbers in your local school district. I had a closer look at the, uh, the go-on rates. We got some demographic breakdowns from the State Board of Education. Uh, you can see those numbers in detail at idahoatnews.org, but uh, the, the short version of the story, the numbers went down across every demographic group. And a story I really enjoyed this week from our newest reporter, Nick Strang. He went to a um, high school basketball game in Weezer to get a sense of kind of the sights and the sounds of what a school athletic event looks like in the middle of a pandemic with limited attendance. Really nice features, some really nice photos, so you'll want to check that out because that's going to be an issue. Uh, there's already been a, a proposal presented in the legislature to address uh, public gatherings. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what Nick did with that story is it, you know, as it turned out, uh, you know, really nice, you know, happy coincidence here was that he went uh, on the ground and gives us a sense of what it looks like and what it, what, what it sounds like. So a really nice story there because we've not heard the last of this debate. So lots of good stuff to check out on the website. So I hope you uh, take a look. Yeah, lots of good stuff. The legislature will be back in town uh, next week. They will not be making, they will not be taking a holiday. They'll be meeting each day next week. One of the things at the beginning of the week that I know we will both be focusing on, we mentioned it at the beginning, uh, is this question of using enrollment calculations or attendance formulas for the purposes of basically calculating school funding. Uh, that was something that House Education began taking a look at over two days this week, uh, has so far has taken no action, uh, but they're due to take that back up again Monday, as will Senate Education. Kevin, just real quick, what are a couple of things you're going to have your eye on next week and be covering? Well, I think beyond the uh, the start of the rules process, I, I, I'm going to be we, we, we alluded to it a little bit just now with, uh, with the proposal about uh, public gatherings. Yeah. You know, I think this whole debate over uh, coronavirus response and the legislature's role versus the governor's role, I, I touched on it a little bit in my first big story from the state of the state. I, I think we're starting to see how that's uh, how that debate is going to play out. So that's something that's uh, you know, kind of on my radar right now. 
All right, Kevin, you had some personal news uh, that I think we're able to share now uh, a little bit more about your higher education reporting project. Uh, what can you tell us by way of preview? Well, uh, we got good news this week uh, through Education Writers Association in Washington, D.C. They uh, are they selected a project I'm going to work on these next few months for a fellowship. What I'm going to look at these next few months is higher education enrollment, topic we've uh, written a lot about the past couple of years, but I really want to take a look at the trends right now during the pandemic. We know the numbers decreased, and we know the numbers decreased in some really important demographic groups. Uh, you know, students in poverty, uh, first-generation students. Um, you know, the numbers were definitely mixed for Latino students. So I, I want to take a closer look at the enrollment numbers and the enrollment trends during the pandemic. Is this a continued problem or is some of this uplip because of the, the pandemic and, and you know, a trend that maybe will reverse itself? So I'm going to take a closer look at it at the end of the spring semester. And then we'll take another look at it again in the fall when we start to see those 2021, 20, 2022 numbers, uh, the, the numbers for the next school year. So really excited that EWA uh, selected the project for a fellowship. It's going to be my second fellowship with EWA. They're a wonderful organization. They give us uh, a lot of not just financial support, but uh, some you know, professional support and some professional guidance as we take on big projects. It's our third fellowship overall here at Idaho Ed News. Uh, you'll recall that Sammy Edge and Nicole Foy from the Idaho Statesman teamed up on uh, their Latino listening project last year with help from EWA. So really excited to get this project rolling. We'll, uh, we'll work our way into it as uh, we're also watching the legislature. Yeah, a big congratulations, Kevin. This is a huge honor and it's richly deserved. You were selected from a national pool of applicants of some of the best education writers from all across the country, uh, some of the most prestigious and well-respected publications across the country. And so not only are we going to get some national resources behind your reporting project, it's going to get some national exposure uh, for your work and certainly shining some national exposure on the higher education situation here in Idaho. So congratulations, and it's an exciting. And I think... Your opportunity to get this topic onto a little bit more of a national stage is really exciting because the enrollment numbers are a big deal for Idaho. I think they're one of the biggest uh, education issues facing Idaho. But these enrollment trends are you know, a concern nationally. So I think what's happening in Idaho has some national significance and we'll try to put it into a broader context. So uh, really excited to get this project going. Yeah. That's a great way uh, to leave off on some good news this week. If you want more information about the vaccine, we have our articles published. Um, the thing that Governor Little and health officials told me is if you want to find out who the providers are, check with your local public health district or your employer uh, or, or your school, basically. But they're saying you, you should be able to get the vaccine at a lot of the same places where you would get a seasonal flu shot, the pharmacy your local doctor's office, hospital, perhaps your local public health district. Um, but check with your school or check with your local public health district if you want to find out more about how you can get that vaccine if you are a teacher or an education staff member serving grades pre-K through grade 12. I think next week, Health and Welfare is going to launch an online tool 
on the health and welfare website that will allow you to enter your information uh, like your address and your job and what class you, you fit in with the priority groups. And supposedly that's going to match you up with the local provider. So if the state releases that, we'll put a link to that in our latest story. All our coverage uh, from this week is on the homepage. It was a big week at the State House, a big week overall. Uh, but yeah, be sure and check out the homepage or bookmark it. That's www.idahoednews.org. If you're on social media, if you're big on Twitter, we're at Idaho Ed News. Kevin and I each have our own individual accounts as well, uh, where we break news and live tweet some of the big meetings. But as always, thanks so much for sticking with us. Uh, we'll be here with the Extra Credit Podcast weekly all through the legislative session and all through uh, this year. But thanks so much. Uh, I hope everybody had a safe and happy uh, Christmas and holiday season. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week. All right. This is Clark just jumping in with one final footnote to today's podcast. Sorry for all the confusion. But I talked with Kevin and we both felt like we needed to go back and put a footnote here at the end because the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare has revised uh, the data that it released uh, regarding the number of people in Idaho who have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Earlier in the podcast, we cited uh, what was then posted at the state's coronavirus website as of this morning, Friday, January 11th. They had indicated that more than 47,000 Idahoans had received at least one dose of the vaccine. I'm coming back to you Friday afternoon, January 15th, and Department of Health and Welfare and the coronavirus website has revised that down to 41,424 people uh, who have received the vaccine. So I didn't want to push the podcast out having that air in there, and we talked about that inaccurate number a couple of times uh, so I wasn't sure what to do, but came back with this footnote, this editor's note. Also wanted to let you know that Kevin had noticed that the numbers did not add up earlier this morning before we went on the air. He reached out to Health and Welfare about it. One of their spokeswomen told him um, that the numbers were right, essentially, and that he might have been confused. And here we are, and the state has revised the numbers a few hours after Kevin reached out. So... The latest that I'm seeing, Friday, January 15th, 41,424 Idahoans have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Sorry for the confusion, um, but felt like it was a significant enough thing that wanted to come back and try to set the record straight. So thanks as always. Um, Kevin and I will be back next week. Have a good weekend.